0: Oh yes, this is the Hardcore Marketing Show. I'm Casey Cheshire, your host for this epic journey. Today's show is sponsored by Ringmaster on a mission to launch B2B podcasts that create relationships, generate revenue, and drive growth. Ringmasterlive.com. Bam. Oh yes, I have hit the button. And you know what? I have popped the lid on this gold peak real brewed tea it's a sweet tea and no this is not a sponsorship but you know what gold peak if you're listening hey what's up actually my guest today requires some caffeine and some sweet tea and some energy because he is a so much fun and i can't wait to introduce you to him he's just so cool so experienced we're going to learn a ton from him today a serial entrepreneur investor in multiple businesses a marketing oracle, that's right, he sees the future, a sultan of swing, a prolificator of Washington, D.C., connector of the connected, and my friend, co-founder and partner of Model B, Ashton Moore. Welcome to the show, sir.
1: Wow, we can end it right there. That was perfect.
0: We'll just end it. You know what, clip that. That can be your wake-up alarm on your phone in the morning. Done,
1: (laughs) That that was perfect, Casey. I mean, what more <laughs> do we need to
0: do? Now it's just like, it's time for UFC. It's- well, dude, you're so experienced. And I know we, we could talk about anything. And maybe this becomes like Joe Rogan talking to Jewel for four hours. Maybe that's what this one becomes. But you know what? Let's get into it. I can't wait to learn from you. Because I know you have a successful agency. You've got multiple businesses. And you have a way of seeing the forest from the trees. So I'm going to hand you this thing. I hope you've worked out because it's heavy. Okay, here you go. Thor's hammer. Take that thing. You got it? Okay. Nice. Heavy, right?
1: Yeah. Wow. I guess I'm not a golden god.
0: (laughs) Well, maybe you are. Maybe you're just, you know, need a little more practice with the hammer. But take Thor's hammer. Smash for me some kind of marketing myth, bogus strategy, misconception. Set the record straight once and for all.
1: I'm going to start right, uh, right there by saying no marketing can ever save a product that nobody wants. That is uh, that would be my, my 100, 101 and 102.
0: No marketing can save a product. No one wants. So if exactly. the product absolutely sucks, then you are screwed. It's not like you can, you know, I guess at that point, you're just trying to scam people. If you're, I mean, and it's, it's still not going to work that well because people know it. And then the reviews just pile up and, You're just done.
1: Well, you can sell it uh, through, for example, I'm I'm more, I'm kind of an ad guy. I mean, I love all marketing. I love brands. I love good brands of good bottles, tea, sweet tea, tea.
0: sweet tea. Mm -hmm. Yeah.
1: Love it. Yeah. All tea. Um, I love things that look nice. Um, So I'm a brand and marketing guy, but really at the core, I'm an advertiser. I love advertising. Um, Ogilvy one of the advertising greats um, in advertising land once said that if your ad doesn't make a cash to ring, it shouldn't exist. So I say that to say, marketing can sell a product that nobody wants, but it's gonna cost you 10 times more than the return that you get on that sale. So if you have a $10 item, um, it'll cost you $100 to get people to buy the thing and then you don't really have a business and is it right. is a, is that a, is that even a product i don't think so
0: i don't think so either you know i think the internet gods just m- like kind of muted us real quick what did ogilvy said if your ad doesn't make what happen
1: the cash register ring it shouldn't Uh-oh. exist
0: the cash register ring
1: it should ring when you run that ad you should sell more typewriters and more tea more thing more widgets and gadgets and what's it and services because otherwise, I mean, and you see, you see this happen a lot. It, it grinds my gears, as you might say, because um, you, know, you, can, you can sell anything uh, if you spend enough. But if, that, if your marketing spend is more than a fraction of the cost of the product, then you're going to be upside down real fast because you still have cost of goods sold. So you still have to pay to have Thor's hammer carted across a boat. Uh, across the ocean, you still need to, you know, manage the operations, you need to store the inventory, do the shipping. So if your, your hammer is $10 and it costs you a hundred dollars to sell it because nobody wants it. What about all those other costs? You're down like 150, $160 at that point. Would you pay $170 to sell it, to sell a $10 product, Casey?
0: No, I would not. No. 170 to sell a $10 product, not, the more you sell, the more money you lose.
1: That's correct. That's a bad thing. You don't want to do that.
0: I feel like some startups try to do that at the beginning. Some
1: startups try to do that anytime. any time. In fact, I pulled numbers for you so I could be fancy.
0: Ooh.
1: CB Insights, um, they have an article titled, and everybody at home can Google this, the top 12 reasons startups fail, which makes me think that CV Insights hired somebody from BuzzFeed to do their headlines.
0: <laughs> um, we're the headlines. We're the Wall Street Journal. <laughs> <laughs> well, they all got buzz. Hey.
1: Hey. hey yo.
0: Here and all th- day.
1: <laughs> on, on August 3rd, 2021, they published the twop, top 12 reasons startups fail. And the number one reason is not what we're talking about. It's actually running out of cash. Um, or failed to raise new capital, um, which is probably why Vern Harnish, um, a great startup entrepreneur founder guy, talks so much about how important cash is. So the number one reason you run out of cash. The number two reason. Uh, so thirty-eight percent of startups fail because they run out of cash. Thirty-five percent, the number two reason, which is what we're talking about, fail because there's no market need. Mm. No more. And then the next reason is actually only 20%. And then everything is under, it goes down into the teens and all that. So it's yeah. a pretty big reason it's, it's over a third of all companies fail because the market doesn't want the thing that they've made. And there are a myriad of reasons for that. Casey, there are so many.
0: They just don't want it. And that's where we get product market fit and those kind of things.
1: Exactly. And it, it's a lot of people just take a thing to market and, um, because they think it's a good idea. And what happens is they'll go and ask their family and friends and their family and friends will wanna be super supportive of the young founder. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, young in uh, coming to market, not an age, you can be any age as a founder, but the the new founder, like all their friends get excited, especially their mom. And they're like, that is the best idea I have ever heard in my whole life. And I would absolutely pay $12,000 for your drone powered toothbrush. Yes. Would you brush your teeth with a drone, Casey? <laughs> uh,
0: no, but I'd like to watch somebody else try it. <laughs> Me too.
1: Maybe their revenue could come from YouTube videos.
0: Yeah, I think Mr. Beast might want a little, little taste of this action.
1: <laughs> that could be the product. Actually. Like whoever failed. does
0: this, I'll give them $1,000, but you don't get dental insurance from it either. <laughs>
1: Bailed products, uh, you, a YouTube series. Maybe. What are you doing later, Casey? Should we start this?
0: Should we start this? Yeah. You know, sounds like a great idea. Let's get our let's get our parents to invest. <laughs> <laughs> they're
1: gonna say they're gonna say it's a great idea too.
0: I don't know so, if you so, have any of those parents that I have at least one who would be like, that sounds like a terrible idea, <laughs> which is actually now we are talking about it is actually a good thing.
1: That's great. And you should you should buy them like wine or bourbon just for being a great person, for being yeah. honest about your pursuits.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: A lot of people are afraid to speak Not up. I can them handle friends. that. Well, I mean the thing is, a great founder and here's the other part. A lot of founders have set off on the path because they think they're right about everything and you know, you've got the big Superman guy or Supergirl gal um doing Superwoman doing the thing and people usually they're, you know, founders are, are, are aggressive um, in a good way. Like they're not afraid to fail, but they think they're always right. And so when they get a couple of people who say, that's a good idea, they're off to market. They'll walk into the, into the VC's office with the same amount of confidence. And, you know, maybe they even have a hundred family members and they actually had them do a survey and they tell the VC that a hundred people said they want this product. That's not really great data, Casey, but it looks like it is.
0: Right, right.
1: So that, that's kind of one of the ways it's like, one of the ways it happens. And that's, you know, on the flip side, that's why you hear so many great tech stories about companies that uh, created a process or a widget or a gadget to help uh, speed up their internal processes and mm-hmm. it works for them, and it does great, and it builds all these efficiencies. And then all of a sudden, somebody over on the marketing team goes, "Guys, why aren't we selling this?"
0: <laughs> people actually, I'd buy that. Yeah,
1: yeah. People, people like you guys are having a hard time selling your 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 toothbrush drones, but we we like our inventory logistics system. Uh, for all the product that nobody's buying is the most incredible thing in the world. So why yeah. don't we sell that? Because these brilliant programmers that we hired to solve this problem solved a, a, a real market use case. And there are 100,000 other product companies who, who can afford to pay for this efficiency because it, it helps them save money that goes to their bottom line. Yeah. So yeah. that's like the opposite way, right? That's a good way to go.
0: That's the right way to go is, is there a right way to start? Because it sounds like the recipe for not success, for failure here is probably starting the wrong way. You're talking to your parents, you're getting the wrong kind of investors, the wrong kind of feedback. What's the right way to approach this from the start if you want it to be successful?
1: Getting feedback from people who hate you. No, just kidding. That, that yeah. would be pleasant. That wouldn't be nice. Like imagine a focus group with eight people, like eight of your like ex-partners in the room, like business or life. And you ask them what they think, they're gonna boo you out of the room.
0: You know what? They're they're not even gonna sign up to for Harry Potter. You know that poor <laughs> yeah, editor they, who, exactly. who read it, Harry Potter at eight publishers or whatever it was before one actually picked it up. We're like, nah, this won't go anywhere.
1: Yep, exactly. So, well, there, there there are great ways. I mean, I think uh, I mean there are sort of more mass market ways. Like Kickstarter is a is a thing that works pretty that's well. True, you- yeah. You see a lot of great products come out of there because essentially in order to pay for it, like uh, 100,000 people have to sign up or else it doesn't get made at all. So that's pretty cool because that's like super crowdsourced. That's like everybody who, who like wants new stuff. That's, that's great validation. Um, but that's kind of a step down the line. I mean, you know, it, it's just really soliciting feedback um, from people who don't know you. Um, you know, just neutral feedback uh, from people who actually understand what that thing is going to do for them. Um, so if it's a product geared towards uh old people, you don't really solicit feedback from young people, and vice versa. Um, or if it's uh, you know, B2B, SaaS, or tech, or professional services for the education industry, you probably don't want feedback from like the total opposite industry like the the uh hospitality industry um or the the gambling industry the casino people like so the point is you you want to get to the people who have a neutral opinion of you and really just talk to them about whether or not they think your thing is gonna help them and then Mm -hmm. and then it's also good to ask them what they'll pay for it because if they say that this thing is wonderful but I'd only pay ten dollars and it's gonna cost you a hundred thousand thousand dollars to you know, fabricate it and then fifty dollars a unit forever. Um, that's probably not good. Um, so yeah, just getting that 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 true feedback about whether or not people would buy it, and then um, and then you know just asking how would they want to use it, like how often would they use it, like what would they what would again what would they pay for it? Um, you know, and and even better if you can start doing like really uh, cheap ways to see if you can get people to sign up for stuff. Like, uh, for example, if you do a landing page and you say, if you're interested and being the first to know when this is released, put your email in, like, that'd be great. That'd be a good thing to do. Um, there are a lot of companies, uh, Google and otherwise who do a really good job of, uh, essentially testing the market to do it. There are major research companies do omnibus surveys, good qualitative and quantitative data. I actually recently built a, a product. I got so frustrated with this. Of, of so, when people would hire my ad agency, and I couldn't move their product. And in our early years, I would assume it was my fault, um, and and assume that maybe my product isn't very good. Uh, and but but you look across the board in my agency, and you've got people who I just did the numbers yesterday. Um, Remember, I had one nonprofit a while back who I just couldn't even get. I actually could get email signups, but I couldn't get donations through ads. Um, and I tried everything. So I could get email signups. And actually, I think they may have been in the black if you modeled out an email campaign over 12 months in terms of drip donations to the emails. But um, we weren't, uh, it wasn't that sophisticated of an environment. So we never would have been able to really know that. Um, because we don't really build the organic environments. We run the ads, right? And then right. count the number of acquisitions. And if you let us have access to your CRM, we can model all the rest. but a lot of people aren't a lot of people don't use their CRM as well. so we can't mo- pull that data out to show the true return. Uh, let the people who do are the ones I like to work with um, because I can show true return. But say, let's to say, I just did some, so so back in the day, we were working with this nonprofit who we couldn't get any donations proven, but we got, we figured out how to get email signups. Okay. Um, and I felt like we didn't do a great job. I felt like we did a good job. Um, but you know, realistically we, I mean, my thought was like, maybe people don't want the thing. Um, but you can't really point your finger at them and tell them that, um, But I just did some modeling for another nonprofit we're working on. um, And we turned a $200,000 media buy into a million dollars last year. And like attributable donations, like mostly attributable. We need to do some more uh, integration work. But like based on their business metrics, uh, they believe that nine out of 10. Uh, well, essentially that are, you know, $200,000 turned into a mill and that's amazing. So I say that to say, you know, I used to think it was my fault. And then I started looking at all the data and I started to realize that on the campaigns where I couldn't prove a true return, it might not be a thing that people want. So what I started to do on the advertising side cases, I started to say, Hey, how many sales do you have? Uh, and if it was like a, you know, an a, an e-comm or a DTC product or a B2C product, I'd say, great. How many reorders? So, if you give me those two data points, I'm going to know with some reasonable certainty whether or not people want your thing. Because if your answer is, I have 10 orders and two reorders and yeah. the lifetime over the last five years, I'm going to be like, okay, that's yeah. really scary. And I say that now. I'm like, great. So, we're not really going to be advertising for an ROI, we're going to be advertising for market research. Okay. Because otherwise, I'm wasting. If I say that I'm going to bring you a return on that money without a proven product, I'd be lying to you. So I'll be honest with you and say that I'm happy to help you do market research to see what taglines have the highest click-through rates. Um, but then if they say, oh, yeah, we have 10,000 uh, orders a quarter, and you know we have a 30% reorder in quarter two, I'd be like, let's go, is what uh-huh. I would say.
0: And the the lifetime value is something substantial and it's worth the math in the end of the cost of acquisition. That lifetime value is a huge return.
1: Yeah. Simple math. Like, so if somebody buys a product for, uh, let's say a hundred dollars and then they reorder that product once a year, um, if they don't reorder it, then I have to make sure that, you know, I'm at a reasonable percentage of that hundred dollars in that. And the conversion cost. But if there's a reorder, it becomes a reasonable percentage and uh, $200 conversion cost. So my job gets easier because I can say, hey, the new customers we drive to you based on your math are going to reorder. And then right. on the B2B SaaS side, the other magic on that one is um, the customer lifetime. So I usually model annual customer lifetime value with B2B SaaS tech companies. Um, you know, say for example, there, you know, a, a good benchmark, and when you're driving leads, Casey's one to 100 usually convert. And I don't mean MQL, marketing qualified leads. I mean, just pure leads from advertising land. A tech or a SaaS company usually closes one out of 100. I don't know why that's true, but it is. Assuming they have a viable product. And so if they're... That's, so
0: so good number would be one out of 100 leads convert?
1: I wouldn't say good. It wouldn't be bad. I'd say it's average, average sort of like it's uh, a lot
0: 99 people who are just not a fit.
1: Well, um, I'm talking about leads. Like the thing is, if you do a great ad campaign with a great message, that's brand forward, compelling to the target audience, yeah. right place, right time, right message. I mean, geez, that could drop to one in 50. Um, you know, gotcha. it's really just a very general one in a hundred. And for a company charging a hundred thousand dollars a year for their SaaS products—that's great, you know. That's true. If, I mean, <laughs> Don't
0: get greedy. <laughs>
1: yeah, and it, and good return. You know, because you're not your leads aren't going to be more than you know a few hundred dollars probably. Um, you know, it's if it's a good ad campaign, it really depends. Varies. Like some folks with million dollar a year uh, average contract values, well, it's probably going to be more like a thousand a lead. I mean, you never, you know, it's all in the math. Uh, like that's the magic. But what I ask those companies is, as I say great. You want to do a campaign for what target market? And they'll tell me, and I'll say, how many clients do you have altogether, And they'll give me a number. I'll say, what's the average contract length? And they'll give me a number. Hopefully it's like 18 to 36 months and not they cancel in month three, because that would be like, okay, well, I don't know if you want me to pay to have people cancel on you in month three. That's scary. And then hopefully they say, that whoever they want us to advertise to, that they actually already have a couple of those clients in that industry because they could be wrong. Like they, they could be wrong. And and I've seen, I see it over and over now, granted, what's really nice about my agency is that we're just really upfront about all of what I, like, I say all the stuff I'm saying to you to people I talk to for the first time who have lots of money. So this isn't like a magic industry secret. I just feel like, um, you know, sometimes these big founders or big CEOs with big ideas. Um, and this this occurs and massive companies bringing new products to market, by the way. This is not just new founders. This this yeah. is, I mean, look at, look at how many products and uh, Google, I love you. Thank you for letting me run ads on your platform. You're amazing. And I hope to meet all of your executives someday. Um, but look at how many... <laughs> projects google scraps because they're so smart about knowing when to stop
0: i'm glad right. you bent the knee before speaking ill of them <laughs>
1: I, I, I don't have my ads <laughs> turned off um or yours right. um no i'm joking they would never do that but um right no they uh, want but, the money
0: man but they wouldn't turn them off <laughs> they may but, just block your seo your your uh your organic but they will keep those ads on
1: that uh that would be bad too casey because i don't know if you know but sometimes if you don't rake high organically, you get charged more for your ads. But this is just a myth. Uh-huh. uh-huh.
0: Lots of myths surrounding uh-huh. SEO and PPC and uh-huh. Uh-huh. all that. Uh-huh. Well, you know what? Your you're work was, I, I love this focus on numbers. And, and to you, it sounds like simple math. And, and may, maybe it is, but you know, math is hard, hashtag. Uh, but you seem to have it really figured out. And and I think that sounds like that's part of working with an agency. So I imagine there's a lot of marketers out there, uh, senior all the way to just trying to get things done. And the idea of engaging with an ad agency sounds exciting, maybe a little scary. How do you best prepare? How do you best prepare to, to meet that head on and really maximize the value of that kind of a partnership?
1: Well, the first thing is that you, you need to be prepared and this is like such a cop out. And I promise that this nah. is just like a wild pitch, but you have, it to, have, money, you have to have enough money to do it. Um, okay. You know, just for example, um, I was just talking, um, actually I had an all hands earlier today and we were talking about this on the call. If you're a B2B product that, um, that a wide portion of the market wants, like a lot of business is wants your business products. I mean, you should be spending at least 10000 a month on LinkedIn. And, you know, that, so that's $120,000 a year investment. And then you have to think about, like, the retainer fees with the agency and, like, all the smart people that you're going to need to pay a little bit of money to on that team. Because, you know, you hire an agency, the magic, I would say the pro of hiring an agency is that um, they have experts, um, a stack of them that are very hard to afford by yourself. So if you look at our average agency stack, I mean, our magic and why, why I like us is because we go really deep. So we have like uh, we have some really brilliant GTM, uh, Google Tag Manager specialists on the team. We have web developers on the team who can handle all of the integration to make sure the pixels fire right and that the data is passed to the GTM specialist. But these are two different humans who have full time mm-hmm salaries who are amazing and like great people. And they want to work for an exciting company where they get to touch a lot of things. And so it, it might be, it would be hard for any company, most companies like under a in annual recurring revenue to actually acquire this type of talent because mm-hmm. they're very expensive to have a stack of them. Now add in the brand creative uh, team, which is a creative strategist or creative director then you add in you know the production designer um and then we're not we haven't even gotten over to all the different specialists for each ad platform for social platforms um for search platforms for programmatic display those are all different so let's say we're at five to seven people now and you know we're, we're looking at you know like on the low end, fifty thousand dollars a year salaries on a very, very low end, and they go, they go higher, and so you know that's a quarter million to half a million dollars a year just to have the team. Not even counting your advertising buy, and that's why it's good to hire an agency. Now the bad, <laughs> right? The bad thing about hiring an agency is that they don't work inside of your company and culture, and so it's very important to make sure that you have connective tissue and your relationship with them and that they care about your success. Um, Because if they don't, and you're just another number to them, um, and they're not tracking the true ROI, um, you know, these people can only work so hard if they don't have a champion for you inside of the building of the agency, um, which is why I think it's important to just have a great relationship with whoever's managing your account and to treat them like a coworker. I always ask my account managers to do the same. I say, you know we're partners, not vendors. Um, but you know we're all we're all doing things a different way. We're all trying to figure out how to drive value, all trying to build great companies. It's just you know a matter of looking in my opinion, whenever you're working with other companies and vendors, is what return are you getting back from your dollar, and how does the data show that? And, and if the agency can do that, everything else is kind of moot. If they can show that you give them a dollar, they give them back three. Five, you know, depending on the industry. Eight. I mean, it doesn't matter if if they don't like you at all.
0: You're <laughs> do that 40. all day. Yeah. <laughs> how many more dollars can I give you? That's fine. That's yeah. fine. find some. Take it
1: all. Take my yeah. bank account.
0: <laughs> oh, that makes total sense. I love this shit a little bit. What about events? Do you? I know we met at one, but how do you see events going for twenty twenty two? I know we got different bugs flying around trying to give us all a cold and, and, and worse. So what's your take? Are we, are we getting back to in-person events? Is that, are we not? And are you excited to go to any marketing events this year?
1: You know, I, um, our our marketing director, who's awesome here Model B is help, trying to help me find events. And there are a couple of maybes in New York. I mean, I love events. I want to be at all of them. Yeah. except i would i would take being on this podcast as number 1 and being at an event is number 2 uh, for my schedule always um, but i i what is that I, real
0: quick podcast oh podcast over events
1: being here with you is the only thing i'd rather do than be at an event right now like if if there were the best event next door in the world I, i'd still be here with you but then i'd go after
0: Yeah, (laughs) I'll go too.
1: (laughs) Yeah, exactly. But um, no, I'm just teasing, but I'm not teasing. Um, I've had every uh, other in-person event I've had. uh, Actually, two out of three in-person events I've had. It's now uh, January 13th, 2022. Um, Every two out of three in-person events have have canceled over the last uh, two weeks, and every in-person is canceled over the last two weeks, one of our clients, uh, has an event coming up in about 20 days, 30 days. Um, Oh, one month, 29 days. And I'm really hoping it happens, but they might, it's a conference in Florida, but they might have to cancel. Um, I do have one event, um, that hasn't been canceled yet next Friday, uh, which is the entrepreneurs organization, uh mid-year strategy summit and i got an invite and i'm excited about it because apparently it's a strategy session with a bunch of entrepreneurs about how we're going to do entrepreneur yeah, stuff all fun. year yeah. in their group and i but i do think that I, I actually emailed them when i got this event and it was like this event is for board members and it's mandatory and i was like did you put me on here on on accident like what and they were like no ash we want you to come and i felt very uh like very uh I feel like I checked them, Casey. I don't know why they want me there, but I'm going to go.
0: Oh, dude, they're going to get you on the board. Is why you're already I, on I, it. Apparently. I
1: mean, I, I apparently, I, I don't know. <laughs> I guess so. I mean, that's amazing. I mean, they're such a great group. I mean, I, so I'm really hoping they don't cancel that one. Cause that, that's going to be amazing. Um,
0: yeah, it's an interesting event and it's sort of a side track. It's, it's a great glimpse into, and you probably have experience with this already, but this was the first time that I ever saw it. Um, when you have a committee trying to create strategy for an organization, it could be really challenging. Yes. Um, and so that's exactly what that experience is going to be like. Um, the first one I was really frustrated at it took me a couple of them for me to mellow out a little bit and understand that we'll get there eventually. Uh, but it's a little different from a you know, hierarchical, you know, power structure you might have as an entrepreneur. It's, it's very much a committee um, figuring things out together.
1: Oh, I have no power, Casey. I have 14 partners across five companies. I I'm I do what I'm told. No kidding. So I'm used to that. I'm no going to, yeah, I counted the other day. It was 14. So, and Man, I you just and need, I a,
0: need to open a bar where you just, just you,
1: just, yeah, here. I just, I just let them make the decisions unless they're really bad. And then I
0: just, <laughs> then we go for a walk Step in, make, no, make we just, a change. We just, go,
1: we just go for a walk,
0: <laughs> make a walk. Well, in D.C., right? Go for a walk and only one of you comes back.
1: <laughs> I think you're thinking um Chicago.
0: Go visit Arlington or something. or something and one of you comes back <laughs> from the walk.
1: Yeah. Um, But so, no, I mean, are there any marketing events that I need to know about that you're excited about? Not to flip this, but I am.
0: You know, this is a tough one to flip, right? Because I've been in this Salesforce ecosystem for a long time and just finally now getting out of it so i can start looking at other events and so i'm kind of new to the scene i'm not too sure of any other than the eo events of what some marketing events might be uh that are worth checking out so that's why i added it to the show
1: you know i was gonna be at uh uh so, so a great one uh i mean it's so super popular but it's south by southwest always uh, south by stuff. yeah but I was gonna go to. This is not marketing. I was gonna gonna, gonna go to Sundance uh, next week, and they, they canceled it. Oh, they that did. Made me made me really sad. Is what is how I felt. I felt sad.
0: Have you been to South by before?
1: I've done South by. I I remember I was working at a an agency called McBee Strategic, now called the Signal Group, and I was uh, helping them build their digital offering which was a lot of fun. And they sent me there to recruit engineers. In retrospect, I realized that I should have just put an Indeed ad out, but it was a really (laughs) great excuse.
0: You know, uh, mine was pretty funny. I, I was sent to Austin, happened to be at the exact same time in South by and that wasn't on purpose from them, but it was, it was a core metrics analytics training conference. You poor thing. I know I know but that I'm was sorry. during the day and then by night we all just drove into town
1: oh that's amazing then okay great so you still got to have the Austin experience we
0: salvaged it yeah yeah, yeah.
1: you salvaged it How I tried it walking
0: run? back from the no. downtown to the outskirts it's far <laughs> yeah
1: you probably shouldn't have done that but that's okay you make you you're here so you're still I got some alive. steps in <laughs> yeah maybe a couple of thousand more than you hoped.
0: Yeah. Yeah. A lot, (laughs) a lot of steps. Um, okay. So yeah, that's it on events. What about books? My friend, are you a reader of the books? Do you listen to them? Do you read them? Do you have any that you recommend? I'm
1: a reader of the books and I'm rereading my favorite. I love this question. Just, we should have started with this instead of me rambling about math for 20 minutes. Um, (laughs) you know who, do you know who Bill Campbell is?
0: Do I know who the, I, I know the name.
1: So he, they call him the trillion dollar coach. And that is in fact what his book is titled. And he was, he grew up, he grew up the trillion dollar coach. He grew up as a, uh, as a football coach and stumbled his way into Silicon Valley, um, stumbled his way into a position as CEO of Intuit stumbled his way um, into a uh, rather renowned venture capital group, deciding that because they have entrepreneurs in residence, they should have uh, business people in residence too. And so when they'd invest in a the company, they would assign uh, Bill Campbell as coach to these uh, fast growth startups. And he would just go around and he'd coach them all. And so he coached everyone from Marissa Meyer, um, to the folks over at wow. Google, um, to the folks over at Apple to the folks, uh, like basically all of them. So they call him the trillion dollar coach because if you look at when he started coaching companies uh, to when he stopped and their ultimate market value, he drew, he drove over a trillion dollars in revenue. I love it that is. book. You should read that book. Twice, trillion Dollar Coach for the Trillion Dollar Coach. Okay, yeah. It's
0: you read it a, or listen to it?
1: I like to read because it's faster, and I don't like to listen to the sped up yeah. books because I feel like I'm listening to Alvin and the Chipmunks, even though I know that's like a light hack. <laughs> and also, yeah. I like to I like to mark in the books and like write things and. I actually, I gave one of my books away recently and I just got a text message from a buddy of mine who who found a profanity from yours truly written in the the corners of one of the pages and he got a great kick out of it. Wow. So I like, I like the reading.
0: Okay, cool. Um, Bill Campbell. Oh, so it's not even by Bill. He didn't even write it. It's by it's some by- of his mentees. His mentees, Schmidt, yeah. Rosenberg. Okay. Says so says mentees wrote it. Interesting. Yeah. Is he still yeah. around? Did he die?
1: No, unfortunately. I think he was 76 of uh, health complications. Huh. So he had a good run and I want to be him when I grow up. So if you're listening, Bill Campbell, you have a, you're, you're my mentor too. Uh, Cause I, I read wow. about you and I want to be you. Um, how do you feel about your, um, in terms of the next book, Casey, how do you feel about your new year's resolutions or, or like, do you make any?
0: Yeah, it's a good question. I have a whole um, system I've I've sort of developed over time. I've had some great help with people throwing stuff at me and different ideas. But I, yeah, I've had this whole Google Doc that I've been doing for a while now, every year. And I start out by uh, filling out uh, this section where I say, actually, 2021 rocks. um, Because I think we're always, we look back and I think there's even a meme that's like, oh, 2022 is like 2020 part two. Oh, but it's like, actually, last year was good. And the year before that 2020 was actually a good year. Um, if you if you're looking for those things, you know, if you're looking for a Jeep on the road, you'll find another Jeep. If you're not looking for them, you won't find them. So yeah, I have this thing where I list out like all the things that were actually great about last year to get myself in the right mindset. And then I, I do this little personal survey of different aspects of my life and where they're at scale of one to 10. And I sort of draw out this little circle and figure out where the the big gaps are. And I start dreaming up ways to plug those gaps. And then I just, I'll go grab a cigar somewhere and just kind of like chill out and think about what I want to do the following year. Because I think there's a lot of opportunity for it. So, yeah, man, I, I um, I love sort of planning those fresh experiences.
1: You're a very wholesome person, Casey.
0: Thanks, man. That's a very wholesome answer. Was it a wholesome answer? You're asking yeah. about oh, have, have you kept up your? So I haven't really made resolutions, but I've made goals. You know, goals every year to like I want to do this, I want to do that, and I don't always accomplish them all. But man, I've looked back in this this sheet, and I've said the craziest shit on there, literally. And I've looked back, and it said like oh, I'm gonna write a book on marketing automation. You know, no shit, I actually have one. Another <laughs> one's like I'm gonna climb Mount Kilimanjaro. I was supposed to 2021. It's gonna happen. Um, it's definitely going to happen now, but it was just one of those things where you put little silly things in there and eventually, by golly, you're going to actually do them if if you just sort of write them down, you know? So yeah. I've had a lot of that happen.
1: That's amazing. How about uh, you? That's great. Um, yeah, you know, I did a more wholesome exercise last year. I didn't really do one this year. Um, and, and the reason for it is because i feel like the train has left the station in terms of what i can change over the next six months um and it's all good i get very happy with uh the velocity at which my train is moving but i kind of feel like i need like another six months for some of the things i'm working on to cool down a little bit before Mm. i can do my what is normally an annual reset like this time I look back on last year's goals and I was like, wow, I'm just moving. And so I'm going to keep going. And That's I don't awesome. really, it's not that I didn't reflect. I reflected on the need to reflect. I was like, I think I'm just going to keep sprinting because I'm very peaceful right now, but I'm moving very quickly. So yeah. I'm going to kind of keep that rolling. But um, I say all that to say, I want to plug the book Principles by Ray Dalio as well. Oh, yeah. That's a good its It book. is it amazing book, um, just about, uh, and I love the journey of Ray Dalio, uh, founder of Bridgewater, um, learning how to both, uh, be the leader of a company as well as the, um, the product guy in a company. I think it was just a really amazing, uh, read. And I feel like he, he runs through a lot of his guiding Things in life that that really helped me a lot in terms of the process of failure to success. So, with that brief break for Casey's New Year's resolutions, for those looking for a little self improvement, I think Principles is a great book. I could actually do this. Uh, like, how how many hours do you have? I can plug books for days.
0: Yeah. Okay. Cool. um you know, Dalio was, was a tough one because he, the first part of his book was some legit math and history. But I found that it was helpful hearing that because you understood where some of the principles came from.
1: Yeah. Yeah. A lot, a lot. My girl doesn't like books. My significant life partner, as I like to call her, doesn't like books that start out with a bunch of math. But sometimes it's necessary and helpful. Uh, and especially because I'd much rather I drudge through a couple chapters of studies and math to know that what I'm reading is real. Yeah. Then have a bunch of made up stuff in the book, you know?
0: Yeah, no, that's true. Sometimes it can be kind of braggy, but you're right. There's a balance of understanding that whatever is going to come after this is for a reason. Yeah. Um, But I feel like those are the kind of books you can read again, you know, so yeah. I'm definitely going to hit the trillion up, but I don't necessarily recall all the things I learned from principles other than, His even his concept of coming up with core principles and not trying to relearn something from a mistake was just even kind of neat. He's just a neat guy that he's able to take a step back and write a list out of like these rules that he will hold himself to. It's just really interesting that he does that.
1: Yeah, I don't, I don't, uh, admittedly, I don't really do that, Um, but it'd probably be good too. Who does? (laughs) uh, Ray Dalio. (laughs)
0: <laughs> yeah, exactly how about the 12 rules for life that peterson book
1: is that good i haven't read that. yeah you have that out.
0: yeah there's a new one coming out but that okay. it's like a tough read because it's just dense but there's all sorts of really interesting concepts in there um it's just like dalios it really it's just whenever we have people like this that can boil down their overall life experience into some precepts then it, it's kind of a benefit to, to everyone really if
1: you ever want to punish yourself, my buddy Mike Long, who's a uh, prolific, plur- uh, prolific, prolific. Yeah, that's the word. Writer, speechwriter, um, uh, best selling author, great guy, professor at Georgetown. Wow. He once made a joke where he was like, I, I bet you won't read this book. And I was like, just to prove you wrong, I'm going to go read this book, buddy. So if you're ever mad at yourself, I suggest you go get a copy of a Western or a history of Western philosophy. Oh geez. Uh, it's about uh, this thick, and it's not that it, any of it's bad. It's just dense. About it, it is a history of Western philosophy. Wow, I'm gonna say I want you to say no to what I what I'm about to say, but Casey, I dare you to read it. Yeah, no, good. Thank you. I would have felt bad. It's not that it wasn't good, but uh, <laughs> wow.
0: no, that sounds tough. I've got, I think I've got a, a different Campbell. Who's, who's the the other one? Is that like Patrick? I've got like a Patrick Campbell book on my bedside. No, not Patrick. It, some other, uh, I've got some of those big books just sitting on the side of my uh-huh. uh, bed, you know, that are like, you're going to read me. I'm like, uh, not today book. Not
1: be- today book. Get out of here. How about uh, nonfiction? I do think it's, it's important to enjoy life, right?
0: Yeah. Yeah. But what about nonfiction? Are you always reading about business or do you, you get out, live a little, little fiction in your life. Sometimes I kind
1: of consider the, uh, the Bill Campbell book, like my guilty pleasure. Cause it's so nice to read. It's almost like watching Ted Lasso, but in a book, Interesting. Um, which is a very wholesome, uh, series that I think is on Netflix that I suggest everybody watch. But, Um, fiction. I mean, so growing up, I read probably every Fear Street and Goosebumps book that ever existed, (laughs) uh, the choose your own adventures. Um, there was actually a joke about me at the library. Um, at some point they, they started asking my parents, like if I actually read the books or if I just checked them out and pretended, because I got the reason I asked for my first bicycle is so that I could carry more books home. Well, wow. I just put them both on. So I've read any fiction book in the 80s, I've already read. Um, but the newer ones, not really. Um, I just feel you know how they say all the business books are like self-help. I feel like I need a lot of help, Casey. So yeah, I'm usually I'm usually nose deep in like how to not be a shithead by a new author. Um so um, that makes sense non fiction I mean in my in my more angsty years I've read every um r. l. Stein and Chuck Polinick book, author of Fight Club and Invisible Monsters and many other great mm. fiction books about the tra- tragedy of humankind.'ve read all of those too, and maybe I've just had my fill of fiction is what it is
0: or maybe you just haven't had a vacation in a while um uh, well.
1: Casey, with the right mindset, every day is a
0: vacation. Mm, is it now? Is it? no? It's not. No,
1: just, <laughs> it's not. Is totally not true. But I, br- but I bring, I, I, brought last time. I had a couple of days off. I brought scaling up by Vern Harnish. with me. I mean, I enjoy.
0: You know that's cheating, it. right? You know it doesn't How, count as a vacation. It
1: does count. Dan Sullivan
0: like, would tell you that did not count as a free day.
1: I like. Business. I like those. Book. You're probably right. No, I'm supposed to say, see, that's why I read books called How to Not Be a Punk, because I'm I'm pushing back against you, even though I know you're right. So <laughs> here's what I'll do. I'm gonna buy what fiction book should I read, Casey? I'll read whatever you say.
0: Yeah, interesting. So fiction book. There's a lot of really good ones. So last year my wife read something like 52. No. 72 fiction books she just was on a roll it's and like every now and then and some of them quarters. make it through that filter one of them is um water for elephants did you ever see that movie nope good because the movie is absolutely terrible even if it had reese witherspoon in it <laughs> but uh the movie was terrible because the book was so good and it made water one. for elephants water for elephants you
1: just it reminded me, me of my favorite fiction book ever what is it ender's game by orson scott
0: Carlson. Oh, are you are you, you got a little sci-fi going on in there i'll bet yeah okay yeah. well i'll tell you my favorite sci-fi book because water for elephants is about the circus and it's really good but uh, my favorite sci-fi book is actually um it's part of the baba verse have you heard of those books <laughs> amazing do you know about the baba verse
1: i know there's a bunch of shows about it
0: uh it's called we are legion It's book one in the Bobaverse series. Dennis E. Taylor. We are Legion. We are Bob.
1: Okay. Can I read that one instead of the circus book? Because circus has kind of freaked me out after I saw, um, I just saw uh, that movie uh, about the guy who's a carny and a, and a mentalist night nightmare alley. I think it was called.
0: I'm watching too much bad TV over there.
1: No, no, it's a movie in the theaters. Um, it has, uh, let's see, it's about these, uh, oh, it's Bradley Cooper. It's the new Bradley Cooper movie. And, I, and I, I walked out of the movie theater and I looked at Joy, my SLP, and I was like, I don't think I'm okay. We need to walk home and watch Ted Lasso. That was horrifying.
0: <laughs> Jeez.
1: It was horrifying, Casey. Don't watch it.
0: I won't. Good. Yeah. I stay away. You. Meanwhile. You we are legion we are bob you could actually even listen to it because i actually have listened to it like four times four times the whole series it's a trilogy i love the Bobiverse, man it's really it it's really cool and then narration by ray porter he is my favorite narrator and he just absolutely nails it so if you get it on audible we are legion the Verse. it's it's the almost best in the Verse because he does a different voice for each person.
1: Is it as good as Guardians in the Galaxy, the movie?
0: Uh, I say it's better. I mean, okay. everyone loves a good Groot and a raccoon with armor mm-hmm. on, mm-hmm. but the Verse is really good.
1: All right. You know, you got me. I'm not going to listen to it, though.
0: No, you're going to read it? Yeah. Okay.
1: I'm going to order it today and report it.
0: back. Oh, it's a really good book
1: but only if you don't watch nightmare alley
0: i'm not you know anything like nightmare alley That na- the name alone is gonna eliminate me from it
1: that you know it's funny the girl who brought me there her name is joy and that movie was not
0: joyful yeah it's like you met a dementor or something yeah oh, it's bad
1: i mean it was just, sorry mind you bradley cooper because i want to hang out with you one day you were amazing and the movie was amazing it was just horrifying. The script and what happened mm. All was horrifying. It's, it's not worthwhile. It's watching. good to
0: sort of set the record straight in case. It you got a critic
1: review of 80% on Rotten Tomatoes and an audience review of 60%, which means that it was very well done, but it was deeply terrifying to the core.
0: Right. Now, what if one day you're on an airplane and you end up sitting next to Bradley Cooper and right before he says hi to you, you actually realize he's listening to this podcast. It was a good thing you just cleared your name just now, so that when he reaches over and you shake hands, you guys can be friends.
1: You, you notice how every time I say something that could potentially be bad, I try to self-correct so that I don't have to worry about what's out there in the universe,
0: right? Put it like there. Google,
1: don't don't fire me, Bradley Cooper. Hang out with me; we could be buddies. <laughs> you, you seem like a cool person.
0: <laughs> yeah, he could be a great person. You never know. Never know. <laughs> but Hey, speaking of great people, who are you, man? Like we we've known each other for a bit, but take me back in time. Little Ashton days. What was it like growing up? You, where did you grow up? Did you always know you're gonna be an entrepreneur? You're reading a lot of books. You're getting a bike to get books in the library, but tell me about it. What, what was it like growing up? You,
1: I grew up a homeschooled vegan uh, with four brothers who by the age of 13 wanted to go to the Rhode Island School of Art and Design. Um, so I started freelancing uh, for free to build people's websites when I was 15, uh, which was cool. Having four brothers was really cool too. We're all we're all like best friends. It's awesome. Wow. Uh, we were then. And I mean, we beat each other up then. And we beat each other up now, just emotionally now. <laughs> um, but, you know, having having siblings, like having like, um, guaranteed best friends as long as you don't treat each other too badly. So that right. was really cool. Um, I never had any idea of what I wanted to do except uh, go, the RISD was my first idea. Of what I wanted to be when I grew up. Otherwise, I was like climbing trees and reading books and skateboarding. Well, you were
0: homeschooled though, huh?
1: Yeah. yeah and was.
0: vegan too? Are you still vegan?
1: I'm actually... Catching up for those terrible days by eating every single creature I can get my hands on.
0: <laughs> you know, I asked you if you were a vegan, but I probably I would have known if you were, right? You would have told me.
1: Is that the joke? <laughs> yeah, just like I would have told you if I crossfit.
0: You crossfit. <laughs> yeah. 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 So you're catching do, do up what, on, on old times.
1: Do you know what the hardest part of being a vegan CrossFitter is?
0: What do you talk about first? <laughs> yeah. <Exactly. laughs> <laughs>
1: oh, that's funny. Good job. Good job. Uh, yeah, so I grew up homeschooled. Um, and, um, you know, I kind of fell into, I guess, in my younger years. like, So I didn't really know what to do. Uh, applying to RISD looked hard. I started working on the portfolio. I had a little art portfolio of, like, websites and things that I made. I was into 35-millimeter film. I would uh, develop it in my darkroom that I made in my bathroom with cobbled up equipment. And then I'd smash the negatives before I developed them with like a hammer, leave them out in the sun. just like kind of grunge art stuff. Um, That's the good stuff. And I just started, uh, my parents moved to West Virginia when I was 15 and I I just started getting odd jobs in DC. Started bartending, coming out here on weekends and start bartending, uh, catering. Um, I got a job cleaning carpets. I got a job... um, what else did I do working in a catering warehouse? And <laughs> I've always been homeschooled and good at computers. So what happened is this catering company asked me if I would uh, be their IT director. And when I I think I was 19. I was trying to look at dates before I came here so I could tell you. I think it was 19. I parlayed that into them becoming, oh, by the way, I had no idea how to IT direct, And that, that <laughs> Stuart Woodruff and Philippe Duval of Three Citron Caterers won't, won't even hold that against me because I did a good job um, most of the time. Because um, I called my older brother, so I'd be out like skateboarding uh, with my friends and he would be building servers. Um, they'd be like, you want to build a server? And I'd be like, no, dude, what's wrong with you? Um, so <laughs> I called him and I was like, Hey, if I say yes to this job where they want to pay me a bunch of money to do computer stuff, can you tell me what to read? So I, so he gave me a list of books as high as my waist. No kidding. Win, windows server, 2003 active exchange management, that was a trying time, but i read them. Um, Damn. so I became an it director and so did a pretty good job. But um, I actually did some really cool stuff with their CRM. I became a certified goldmine consultant, which was like what Salesforce
0: gold was. Goldmine, yeah.
1: Goldmine, yeah. I, you need a goldmine server set up. I got you, my
0: dude.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, you're a Salesforce guy, right? So sure. yeah, I was certified a goldmine consultant, and I parlayed that job into them becoming my first client at my first company, which I had no idea how to run. I parlayed a relationship into uh, doing a buyout where it was basically a, a reverse earnout, where I took over the clients from this other IT company um, and paid him for like a set number of months and years. I'm 99% sure I paid him all of his checks. I need to call him. George Harris, I'll look you up on LinkedIn to make sure shout I don't him out. Money. Give him a shout out. Hey, George Harris of Rapid Networks, great guy. He was kind of like my coach. Um, by Bill Campbell. So, so about five years into that, and I, you know, the company grew. There were revenues. There were staff, but I had no idea what I was doing. So I read all these uh, like ninety-day MBA books and stuff. I've read that. Yeah, they didn't help at all. Um, not even, not even a little bit. Like zero is how much they helped. Um, but so that person needed
0: to have done a business too. You know, along with yeah, I like the idea of it.
1: I feel like it wasn't for founders and then like all the founder books are mostly for like tech companies, at least back then. And so I was kind of like, I didn't know where to learn from. Right. Shout out to entrepreneurs organization to learn um, from other founders. But so um, I saw the market eating my company uh, or about to eat my, co- cause I did a lot of email servers um, and I looked this up. I was about 25, t- about 25 years old. And I uh, essentially like wrapped that up, sold some clients, um, moved some out, let the contracts expire. And I came back to market with what I used to love doing when I was 15, as I started making websites again. And I started um, you know, doing advertising stuff and creative. And, and throughout, the, throughout the, the IT company, I really was doing a lot of that work on the side anyway um yeah i kind of kept it alive because i loved it and got some really cool clients and some really cool relationships so i just went full bore that one um and since then i've just been driving companies into the ground one by one no um so (laughs) so 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 i realized that as a freelance it was a very small freelance shop all the big agencies were charging a lot more than me so i went to go work in one uh McBee strategic now the signal group who Taught me how to pitch. Taught me how to write big quotes. Add a zero to everything. Yeah. Shout out to Jessica Briani for. Shout out. Um, whoa, whoa. I was now the. I think she's the CMO over there now, but um, she dealt with young me. I'm still young, but I was much worse when I was younger. And so there's so, no
0: school throughout this, right? You're just like hitting the ground running, getting jobs because you are If if there's you no, make like college, enough, right?
1: Yeah, if you make enough mistakes, uh, you get the equivalent. Experience. Um, You just have to go through the mistakes instead of learning about them and and other from other people.
0: Yeah, a little more painful, but at the same time, it's a little cheaper sometimes.
1: (laughs) Uh, uh, Well, (laughs) sometimes. Um, Sometimes. No, so so yeah. I've sort of been falling up, as they say, one stair at a time, very painfully. Uh, I said falling. I guess you get some people say failing, but no, I just kind of fell into it. You know, I started working. And then I got this cool job doing IT stuff. And then I had an IT company. And then I turned that into an agency. Then I went internal at another agency. And then five years ago, six years, almost six years ago, I met a couple of founders. One of them, hedge fund guy, Dan Bender, knows everything about finance. Uh, He now runs our accounting and finance company, Afton Bergari, uh, who'd built and sold a pretty big company. And so I was enamored at his abilities and so the three of us teamed up um started our advertising agency accounting and finance shop uh we have you know a holding company to invest in a bunch of cool stuff and uh i may uh I, I may not be allowed to share this with you but since we're on air um just put a team together where i'm going to be bringing a a, a pr company a public relations and- communications company into market pretty soon. Uh nice. They're Fortune 500s and uh governments and countries, um government agencies and countries. So Do you know do you know
0: what takes PR into the the latest decade? What's that? What reinvigorates PR? Tell me. Podcasts.
1: <laughs> That's actually a really 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 good idea. Um Booking people on
0: podcasts is like big business these days. And also launching people's branded podcasts is a big business.
1: I just want to tell you real quick what I'm most excited about the PR companies that we're going to build a center of excellence uh, training program to train, not just our staff, but staff at other PR companies who are coming out of school. And yeah, obviously we're going to serve the biggest clients we can find, but I really want to focus on, People who want to learn how to do it great. Cause actually have thanks to the signal group, I have a lot of background in PR. Um, so I'm pretty good at. I mean, I'm not gonna be doing it. You don't want that, but I know enough about it to strategize it. Where you do want me is running your ads. I just got off a big call about those. But but anyway, I say all that to say I never really I didn't wake up one morning and decide I wanted to start a company. Um and I didn't really even like doing it that much until the last couple of years when I started like meeting people who could tell me the thing and partnering with Dan and Afton and, and, you know, my two partners and like everything, we're basically married. Um, (laughs) but until, you know, you don't really like doing something that's hard that you're bad at that hurts like ever, but I just kept doing it. Um, and then I met people who could teach me how to do it better. And then I found groups that could teach me how to do it better and and what, another really important thing that happened along the way is I stopped thinking that I knew how to do it because I never did. But I was so egotistical about it that what I would say went, even if I was wrong, mm-hmm. that's silly, right? Uh,
0: yeah, but I mean, you can't judge yourself too much on that, you know? Uh-
1: I mean, I'm here with you right now and we're buddies. So life is pretty great. Um, I don't really know what else I need except to get to be on your podcast and to have some really great companies and, you know, build stuff. The most exciting part is like when you have a great company, you're supporting the clients, customers, and consumers. You're supporting the staff. You're supporting the stakeholders, driving value to everybody. And that's really cool. That's why I like building companies, but Maybe that's why I didn't like it before, because like previously at some point, somebody was always getting taken advantage of. And a lot of the time it was me, you know, how you start companies, you don't take salaries or like you don't have a product market fit, but you're selling it to your friends or you don't know how to treat your staff well because you've never really learned how to do that. But when you get that, that circle, right, where everybody's getting taken care of, it's the coolest thing in the world.
0: 100%.
1: I'm not saying I'm good at any of those. I'm still learning. I'm trying to be good at all of those.
0: 100% it's a journey, but the the fact that you're thinking about it and making it a a priority kind of guarantees that you'll be that much better than the people who accidentally are not thinking about it or not being intentional about it.
1: Yeah, I'm trying to work the idea of winning as as a culture out of all of my cultures because Mm -hmm. I think I would say if winning is your culture, at what cost does winning come? Like, yeah. how about working together to bri- provide value to all parties involved in the build? Yeah. Like, h- how about thinking about, you know, our thoughts and feelings and, you know, just taking care of each other as a unit, as a group, as a tribe, not as a family. I don't like it when people use the F word at work, the family word. Uh, you can use the other F word as much as you want, but. <laughs> It's more it's more about a group of people coming together and deciding to build something great together as a team. And yeah. Building like sports together team. as a team. Yeah. Yeah. So, sort of like a sports team, but without that emphasis on winning at all costs. Cause I think um I think that sometimes uh really aggressive teams will decide that it's worth damage to one of the humans in order to get the W. Oh, uh, you gotcha. I yep. don't think that's exactly right. So Maybe I'm wrong. That. Yeah. Yeah. I just, I just, I I don't think there needs to be painful sacrifice if you have watched this Casey, if you have a great product market fit that the market wants, wants to give you money for that, they're interested in buying from you because you've built a great thing because you asked enough people whether or not they want it before you decided to build it. I think you can take care of everybody involved in the manufacturing and delivery of that product or service.
0: Man, there it is. You, you, you brought us full circle back around. I've got a hypothetical question for you because, see, I may or may not have a time machine up here in New Hampshire. And let's say you come visit, we'll get some lobsters, some beer, and you get to use a time machine. It's in the backyard. It's covered with a tarp. And so we're using this time machine and it takes you back in time, but it's a particular kind of time machine. So you get to go... Meet yourself and you get to meet yourself right about your early twenties. The catering thing, the IT thing, all this stuff is sort of starting. You get to go meet that version of you and you can talk to yourself as much as you'd like. And it won't mess up the space-time continuum. What kind of things are you telling yourself?
1: Can I punch myself in the face and say you don't know anything at all you obnoxious little punk (laughs) sure yeah that's what i'd do um and then i'd sit myself down and uh say that more calmly i'd probably say stop would you really punch yourself i'd I'd have to to get my attention i hate getting hit it's like one of my least favorite things it hasn't (laughs) happened often in my life but it really bothers me (laughs)
0: <laughs> it bothers a few other people too
1: yeah because otherwise i wouldn't pay attention to anybody i would be too self-absorbed yeah about how um how great i was um and i'd like i don't know i, I feel like i've walked through my early years and i actually think that's probably how i got anywhere because i had so much arrogant self-confidence um it probably opened a lot of doors for me sort of like that, you know, going into the VC's office, like blindly confident that I have a good yeah. idea um, when I don't. But um, yeah, I would just say, you know, stop pretending you're cool and start asking everybody for help. Like, cause what I've learned more recently over the last two, three years um, is that if you ask for help, you're gonna get it. And it's not one of those scenarios where, you know, you know how they say when you're in sales or you're, you're pitching your company to VCs that you're, you're gonna get a lot of no's before you get a yes. Um, you don't really get a lot of no's when you ask for help. And by that, I mean, hey Casey, uh, I've got a marketing problem um, that I, I'd love to pick your brain on, like. It, you want to connect on Monday? Like, what would you say to that? Sure. Exactly. Of course. Cause we're not, <laughs> cause it gives you the opportunity to help somebody else. And that's amazing. So that's why I, I always, I always say yes. When somebody's like, can we take a meeting? Can I? I'm like, yes, we need, of course. And so I thought that I could find the answers uh, through self-discovery, reflection, reading books, kind of thought I was uh, you know all that and and now I think of my I still have an ego, of course we all do um, but now the first thing I do when faced with any major decision is is, is ask at least at least three people mm-hmm. um, and what's happened since then is I've gone from like a 33 percent success rate to like a 66 percent success rate, and that wow. is a pretty wild swing.
0: That is a swing yeah. Do, can you point to any time in history where that shifted? Like, how did you go from being this like know-it-all book reading? I got this thing to being a little bit more humble, understanding that other people may have the answers that a little faster, I mean, save you some trial and error. Did you get punched in the face and did that did that help you? Or, or was it just over time you realized that people could shorten that journey?
1: You know, I got a really great piece of advice from one of my co founders uh not too long ago, which was Apson, who said, uh, hey, Ashton, I know you read a lot of books, but like what I really want you to do is like slow down and read them like a page at a time, and walk away and reflect on them. Um, and that was sort of the greatest piece of, uh pieces of advice I've ever been given in my life. And around that same time is when I uh when I joined this entrepreneurial group and I saw all these people who I had immediate respect for, who all looked way smarter than me. And uh, I just kind of, I think I kind of threw in the towel in terms of being smart. I was like, you know, I, all these people are just like me and a lot of them are way better and way smarter. Uh, you know, I'm not cool. Cause I'm a founder. Like I, I became a little fish in a big pond um, surrounded by a bunch of, peers and founder land like whatever that means
0: um yeah wow and, and I, and I think a lot of those also, fish don't act like it either right they don't act like they're super smart and they don't even act like it they don't the act tit- like they're the
1: titans are the quietest yeah they're the quiet they talk the least and i mean just over time that's is true. also it's, that's it's, why we
0: uh, talk a lot right now
1: <laughs> exactly that's why we're on a podcast because we're right. not titans um, Some
0: titans over there are just sipping it sipping on his tea
1: Aspiring Titans. Um yeah. but yeah, I say I say a lot to say. I think it was also just getting ground down over the years. You know, I think wisdom does come with age. I know I'm not that old and not that wise, but you just see enough stuff and you make enough mistakes, even sure. little ones. Like because little mis- little mistakes when you're young are meaningless. Like little mistakes when you're older start to mean a lot more because you start, at least for me, I started thinking more about minute by minute optimization. And I'd be like, yeah. oh. I just, me- I, I just messed that up. Like that was, and like old me would have been like, yeah, whatever, dude keep going faster, run.
0: Right. But
1: now, but then you kind of, you're like, wait, I don't want to work that hard. Like make up <laughs> yeah. for all my mistakes.
0: Yeah. Like powering through it versus being a little bit smarter about it, being more strategic about it. Yeah. Makes a lot of sense. Yeah. What? I'm hey, sure man. if I,
1: sorry, go ahead.
0: No, no, you, you go ahead. Finish your thought. I was going
1: to say, I'm sure, I'm sure there's like a life changing moment at some point where like, you know, a f- switch flipped and it was magical, but you know, I can't remember it offhand. But uh if I do remember it, I'll 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 let you know when you're giving me marketing advice next Monday.
0: Nice, nice. Maybe it was when you met me, you know. Yeah, That's normally what it is it for was people. That
1: day at Rumi's in Washington, DC. <laughs> we had some good kebab.
0: Oh man, that, that what was that place called in DC?
1: Rumi's Rumi's, uh, yeah,
0: Rumi's. how do you spell that?
1: R U M I apostrophe S.
0: This is the place everyone listening when you get to Washington DC, you need to go there. Absolutely okay. brilliant place. Brilliant. They
1: have a rice that has little beef chunks in it. Oh my goodness.
0: Yeah, all the vegans just stop listening, but that's okay.
1: They have vegan stuff too. You guys are good. Go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> Did they should yeah. can you get like Sponsorship money after the fact should, should I walk down there and say Hey we just plugged you, we just for, $1, plugged $1, you. Or for a free entree Free, free
0: entree. entree Yeah go ahead man Take a picture <laughs> of it uh, I'll be jealous I can't get that that golden rice But you know next time I'm there We'll make it happen It's um, so
1: good so do you just want to start this from the top And try again
0: Yeah you want to just well I didn't hit record This was okay, a, this was a I'm ready to dry, go again. dry run I'm Ready to go again Dress <laughs> <laughs> <Just laughs> rehearsal
1: Okay, good. Hour and a half long drive run.
0: So, I don't know if I can handle talking to you for another hour and a half. You know, oh. we may just need to reschedule and have it another day.
1: <laughs> oh, are we going to? Ho- I'm going to host you next time, right?
0: So- yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll have to talk-, talk about that. <laughs>
1: yeah, it'd be a lot of fun. I, I wrote your questions down. I think I'll, I'll do a great job.
0: I know. But the- you know what? You actually might. You actually might. And then that might be the gateway drug to getting you on your own show.
1: I would never, ever be able to top that intro for me, though. Ever. Ever. Well, yeah, That's, work
0: hard. Yeah. I need my intro. Um, sweet, man. Well, hey, where can people connect with you? They want to reach out professionally. Is LinkedIn Asking good? Ask me for
1: marketing advice. Oh, my goodness. Ask you for
0: marketing advice. Yeah.
1: Yeah. It's Knowing you say yes. Moore.
0: You have to say yes.
1: Exactly. It will. It's just Ashton more everywhere. Instagram. I don't have a TikTok, so not there. Instagram, Twitter facebook if people still have that linkedin um at gmail.com it's like i'm you know i'm a branding guys so it's just my name everywhere it's so easy
0: is there a dot is like ashton dot more
1: so funny thing about gmail casey is that you can add a dot between every letter and it's still the exact same email
0: the same for instagram appears
1: really cool
0: yeah cool. let's see i put one after the t nope just kidding.
1: No, it's just Gmail. is the only strange service that does that. So, But it is actually not more Gmail. Um, I have a nice website at modelb.com, but I don't know if the forms work right now on HubSpot. So probably- Oh,
0: you killing me. You don't know if the forms work on HubSpot? Those leads coming be, in?
1: I thought it'd be funny to say, yeah, they, they do. They do
0: <laughs> <laughs> Those hot <laughs> leads <laughs> with a huge CPC and a huge CAC, you know they have to work. You know it.
1: Uh, We're about to turn up a big ad program for us. I I think we're going to hit about 123 a lead is what I think we're going to do for us at first, but I think we'll be able to tweak it down to 75 with a little bit of work. Hell yeah, man. I have that written down in my new year's resolutions
0: because the math is easy.
1: The math is easy. It's not hard to figure out an ROI if you have a good business.
0: And if you can't figure it out, now, you know, someone you can contact. To help figure it out,
1: I really do like the business side of marketing a great deal. Like that is a fact.
0: Feels like we could do a whole other show on that side of marketing. You know,
1: it's kind of what this one was. We have to think of something a little more creative because we're talking about acquisition costs, B two C, B two B. Yeah, kind true. of broke down all the math. We talked about product market fit. Uh, we could do a do one about strategy. That'd be cool. Actually, yes. I just want to interview you.
0: Let me Go to market, video. maybe. A little go-to-market action. We did some of that today, too, though.
1: Did some of that. Wow, we covered everything. We I did guess cover a, a lot today. today.
0: Yeah. yeah man. Well, yeah. hey, I, w- I want to thank you for coming on here with me. I, I had a blast. I don't know if we-, we kept anyone with that rambling conversation, but I had a really good time.
1: Me, too. Me, too. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me.
0: Absolutely, bro. And And then for those listening, if you learned something, and I freaking know you did, because I literally have pages of notes over here front and back, then share this with someone else. Be a, that's how you're a thought leader. To like one person, two people, 907 people, whatever the number, just share information from this podcast with other folks so they can learn too. check out those books, The Principles, Trillion Dollar Coach, 12 rules, rules for Life. A lot of good stuff on this episode, man. Ashton, thanks again, dude. My man. All right. This has been another exciting episode of The Hardcore marketing show. We will catch you all next time.